Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, and welcome to the Body Protest Podcast a new intersectional body image podcast that takes a deep dive into our often complicated, occasionally treacherous relationships with our bodies. We want to figure out how we can all feel more at home in our bodies and what it will take to create a world that fosters positive body image. I'm Honey Ross. And I'm Nadia Craddock. In each episode, we'll be combining storytelling with science to discuss body image, so how we feel about how we look in relation to our weight, shape, race, skin colour, physical ability, sexuality, mental health, and whatever else comes up. This podcast is brought to you by The Pink Protest. Today, we have a very special episode. We are speaking to a dear friend of mine who is a talented comedian, writer, documentary maker. Uh, It's my friend Jack Rook. Uh, He's also just had a film in the London Film Festival, uh, Dawn of a New Gay, I believe it's called. And um, I love this man very much. I think he's wonderful. I actually think this might have been my favourite conversation of the series. Um, I obviously loved all of them. We've been so incredibly <laughs> lucky. And I was like, don't, don't tell them that. <laughs> no, we've been really lucky. And I think um, all, I mean, all of our guests have been dreamboats. I think they've been, so, been yeah, incredible. Completely. But there's something about this conversation with Jack that, that kind of stayed with me. Um, I don't know if it's like the rawness of it all. Mm. <laughs> but I, what I know 100% is that I want to be friends with Jack. And I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to work out a strategy. Not sure if I can propose my friendship on a, on a podcast. I've, is that is that how one makes friends I these mean, days? Like you can't see it now, but Nadia is on bended <laughs> knee. She is <laughs> she is begging for Jack. Jack I can, honestly, I can make this happen. Can we hang out? I feel like I can pull some strings. I feel like you and Jack had a lovely chemistry, and I can make yeah. this friendship. He, he was just, he's just really warm and honest yeah. and funny. He and also think... has a way of making you feel like. You're, he makes you feel so special when you speak to him. You yeah. know what I mean? He really invites you in and it's like so intimate. Like conversations with Jack, I'm like, oh, I'm I'm the most important person to you right now. And I love that. Like yeah. it's, it's really like welcoming. But I think you're like that as well. I think there's oh. like a, a quality of being able to be honest and funny and and intimate in a in that kind of context. And I think it's a really special quality. That's I don't think so everyone nice. has it. <laughs> I, I wasn't okay. No, <laughs> Thank you. It's true. That's it's so true. kind. Um, we talk a lot about uh, in this episode dating as a gay person and also the added pressure of dating as a gay fat person like I myself am queer um, but it's you know it's complicated like when I say I'm queer and bisexual it's you know dating is hard as is but there's pressures and it's just yeah it's complicated Um, we also talk a bit about fast fashion and shopping as a fat person um and one thing I love so much about this episode is how Jack is very honest about the fact that he's not 100% in his body yet, and it's very much a journey. And I think, yeah, I mean, I feel like, Nadia, you have some interesting points on this. Yeah, I do think it's a really 
key thing because I think there's there's almost like a pressure now to be like I love my body I feel really good in it 100% mm. of the time I think sometimes what's really useful for a lot of people is to and for me included right is to take a step back from that and just mm. be like no my body is okay my body is okay I appreciate my body I respect it I care for it it's it's good I like feeling in my body you know the whole embodiment piece yeah. But actually, then I can move on and like live my life. And I think the more I kind of do work in this space, the more I want people to like their body enough to be able to do whatever it is that they care about and want to do. Yeah. Well, actually, Michelle Ellman, who was one of our wonderful podcast guests, um, made an amazing post about that the other day, going yeah. like, I feel like true body positivity is actually just living my life in this body. I'm never yeah. going to think about my life in the context of having a fat body I'm just existing and that's true body positivity just being present she posted a photo rock climbing and she was like you know I just did that for me like it's not to do with the fact that it's like here's a plus size person rock climbing she's like I just went rock climbing like yeah and it's okay to not be 100% on your body positive journey yet like it's okay like Lizzo even literally said it's taken her 10 years to get where she is and even she still has wobbles and like that's Lizzo that's like god is a woman lizzo like yeah it, you know yeah i just don't think we need another thing to be hung up about that we're failing at or we're not quite achieving yeah. you know so i think it's it's that I feel like we say it over and over but be kind to yourself don't put pressure on on yourself about like oh, i think I have that's to do the motto of the I podcast know, be kind to yourself I know, which is so hard because whenever anyone says that to me i kind of like tense up and get a bit I know. Like, oh, it's so hard easy for you to say but I think but I think it is the best thing to... you can do like yeah. it's life's hard enough as it is and yeah. there is you know society is constantly working against us and it's like if we can just be like nope okay society's working against me but I'm not working yeah. against me I feel like that's a step in the right direction and I liked this conversation with Jack for that very reason because he's like you know I he's got a really great dating life he's got an amazing professional life but he's like you know I'm not 100% here with this yet and that's okay yeah and I love that I love Jack he's wonderful um please be my friend yeah please be (laughs) Nadia's friend um and I guess let's hear from Jack self-love is true love honor the most important relationship in your life yourself Our sponsor, Womanizer, believes that every person has the right to pleasure and self-love, regardless of age, sexuality, size and colour. A wonderful way to learn to appreciate your body is through self-pleasure. Masturbation is a truly joyful way to connect with your body and learn to feel comfortable in your skin. Everyone should feel able to feel comfortable in their body and explore their own sexual needs and desires. In this house, we see masturbation as the purest form of self-love. Unlike other vibrators, Womanizer products stimulate with soft pressure waves. It is stimulation without touch, meaning there is no chance of overstimulation or loss of sensitivity. Get yourself your very own womanizer at womanizer.com UK so you can light a candle, run a bath and have a mind-blowing night of sexy self-care. We are very excited because today we are joined by 
the fantastic Jack Rook, who happens to be a personal friend of mine. But not only that, he is an incredible comedian, uh, soon-to-be author. Can I say that? Yeah, oh. you can, baby. Um, you can. Just overall, you can say anything you want about me, honey. I don't mind. <laughs> I mean, I often do. I say so many things about you. One time, me and honey were in a, a fancy dress shop in Camden called Escapade. And I just had a full-on kind of mild panic attack. He nearly fainted in my arms. Whilst whilst dressed as the Queen of Hearts. It was a really incredible day. It was I took you to the train station. Yeah, I had to go back to my mum's. I got like a last-minute doctor's appointment because I couldn't breathe. What on earth happened? Was it I sort of had a simultaneously like asthma and panic attack all in one go. It was bad. That's the messy drama that you get on a day out with Jack and Honey. I know, we're just messy pictures. But it was great. I mean, the yeah, costume was, ended up looking sweet. lovely. Oh, yeah. I really, really, really enjoyed my Halloween costume of last year. It's probably the most comfortable I've ever felt in fancy dress. What did you dress up with the Queen of Hearts? Elizabeth I. Oh, Elizabeth The original I. queen. Oh. The idea being that actually she's quite a problematic fave of mine. Yeah. And I, and I felt like actually I'd always kind of envisaged myself as like if I ever had the chance to go to like a proper fancy dress party mm. of going as her and like I just sprayed my hair ginger and I, was gonna didn't, say I didn't even need the fake boobs because guess what I'm fat and that's why I'm here <laughs> Jack, well I was going to say your hair is perfect for Elizabeth yeah yeah it was stunning you have the hair for it and Jack I hope you know you are our first man on our oh, podcast oh, really? so congratulations you've made, oh, made the cart you made I'm the, the best boy. You're the best boy. Congratulations. Oh, so we're very excited to finally have a man on the show. We were like, this is... And it felt right. It had to yeah. be you. I feel like I'm quite a sort of... Um, not that I'm calling myself gender fluid or anything, but I'm quite a sort of like soft introduction into the world of masculinity. <laughs> well, I mean, um, that's why we want you here. Yeah, yeah. I feel like yeah. I can ease everybody. E- yeah, ease us in. A good yeah. segue. Yeah. Um, so you've just got back off the very successful run of your show, Love Letters at the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah. Um, would you tell us a bit about the show? So the show is basically kind of like comedy theatre uh, monologue, so to speak, about like, I guess sort of um, gay discovery, shall mm. we say. And it's very much about those sort of like early kind of like gay forays into like clubs and drugs uh-huh. and sex or whatever. But it's sort of very much framed in a kind of essentially a story about friendship and like uh, kind of, I suppose, why friendship to me is much more important to talk about and queer friendship mm-hmm. than necessarily everything having to be sexualized. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a kind of fake sell of a show in that like I sold it in the Edinburgh Fringe Guide. It's like, this is a show all about cock. But really? <laughs> I didn't actually successfully shag one guy in the show, in the stories. And it's way more about friendship and how you find that and how you find those alliances, really. And I talk a lot about my brothers who are both, like, straight lads. Uh And them sort of gradually, like, becoming really open and it now being a lot more easy for me to talk about sex and relationships with them. And, yeah, so it's a show kind of really embracing love in sexual romantic but also like platonic senses as well mm. oh and it was set to a harp i always forget that but set to it a was harp. set i had a brilliant harpist uh-huh. called alex thomas on stage and he played this like seven foot harp throughout like kind of scored it and it was everything from like ariana grande's thank you next to like bewitched say la vie to like debussy's claire de lune it was like quite <laughs> a wide so spectrum good. that sounds so delightful and also i just want to say um congratulations jack's just got a film in the london film festival which wow. is a segment from the show yeah it's like a little Huge. adaptation and actually i met Catherine bray who's the commissioner of the random max film strand with 
by you. I was yeah. going to say through you, but through you sounds sounded a bit sort of like we'd had a kind of like spit race situation. We had, you. but we that's had. beside the point. Sorry to go so early. <laughs> Sorry, <I> Nadia. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so it's a sort of quite fun thing called the dawn of a new gay. And it's like a little adaptation of, of the sort of live show, all set in like one university halls room. Back in 2012, you know, pre-Brexit, London Olympics, everything was good, everyone was happy. A golden yeah, like literally A golden world, era, yeah. I know. When, so you talk a lot about, I mean, the show is about dating as a gay guy. Mm. As a like plus-size gay man, have you found that that's affected your experience? Oh yeah, definitely. I feel like in the gay world, in the sort of gay lens, mm. there is a sort of acceptable uh, fat body. There right. is an acceptable way whereby you can be a kind of fat gay male. I'm maybe more specifically talking about like the male experience, but... So, like, in my mind, gay times and attitude and all those sort of, like, leading gay outlets, they will have a fat gay person in the magazine if that person's, like, got a beard, wearing a lumberjack shirt, doesn't say much, is sort of, like, quiet, masculine, like, overly kind of um, fetishised as sort of, like, kind of, like, daddy bear type. I was about to say, would it be fair to say a bear? bear. Yeah. Whereas, like... That's the only acceptable, visible form that you see yeah. of, like, a gay guy over 11 stone. That's certainly how I feel mm-hmm. in my experiences of looking at queer culture, is that that is what will be allowed to be depicted in right. the mainstream and be celebrated. And then in every other sense, you know, fat gays are kind of like... We're, we're almost a bit kind of like a butt of a joke. And right. I feel like... I was talking about this. I did a thing with Desiree Birch, the comedian. yeah. yeah who is doing a series for Comedy Central that starts in January called Fat Chat. And it's going to be like quite... It's just comedians talking about like fatness. There's like mm-hmm. six episodes and I think it'll be quite fun. But um, I spoke about my like biggest thing that I loved as a kid was Gavin and Stacey, the sitcom. Yeah. Mm. And I used to like watch it for hours and hours and hours. And <laughs> then there is a scene with Gavin and Stacey's actual wedding day where Stacey's gay brother Jason turns up to the church... And Smithy, played by James Corden, is the best man, and Gavin's the groom, and so they're both on the door. And then the gay brother goes in the church, and then Smithy, uh, Gavin turns to Smithy and goes, do you know what, if I was gay, I'd want to be like him. And Smithy, played by James Corden, Mm. is like, yeah, I'd like to, you know, if I was gay, I'd want to be like him too. And then Gavin is like, you couldn't be gay. And so he's like, why? And then Gavin actually says, because fat gays are outcasts. You'd have to lose some weight before you want it to be gay. And then he goes to list off loads of like slim gay men. And the butt of the joke is, and who's not in their crew? Crew? Uh, Russell Grant. And then like the joke is like, ha ha ha, Russell Grant's a fat gay type thing. And it was really interesting because I was like, that show, I still love it to this day. Mm. And it's interesting to me because it's written by two fat people. But, like, it's funny how we we internalise and see those, like, nuanced differences. So, like, we know that being a fat gay is an outcast. And if you can pull comedy out of that, then is that a defence mechanism? Or is that just, like, kind of re-perpetuating what it is to be a fat gay outcast type thing? And I think that's something that I've found quite difficult, is knowing when to make a joke about my size that I own and I claim Mm, ownership of. And when I'm making a joke about my size that is making dumb people laugh. And I don't want to make dumb people laugh. Well, there's such a balance, isn't it? Because you're like, I never want to be the butt of my own joke. Exactly. I think it's something that Hannah Gadsby said in The Net really well, Mm. of just being like, 
you know, if you haven't watched it, it's on Netflix. Uh, but Hannah Gadsby is an amazing Australian comedian who's gay and isn't like stick thin. And she, you know, speaks about not wanting to tell any more jokes where she's the butt of it, of wanting right. to like reclaim herself and her dignity and her esteem and present herself as equal. And like, I think that's something that I'm thinking about more and more. That doesn't mean that, you know, I can't make a fat joke or I can't make a joke no, about totally. like looking, you know, like shit sometimes, or I can't make a joke about being a big puff. Like, but it's a kind of like <laughs> a line strike, so to speak. This yeah. is interesting though, because I think it kind of leads on to a question I had. What representation did you cling on to growing up? Because I know I clung on to Ursula the Sea Witch with all yeah. my <laughs> might. Like I was like, she's all I've got as a fat girl mm. growing up. Do you know who I, I absolutely adored Dawn French. Yeah. And right. I still do to this day. I feel like I just loved comedy as a mm -hmm. kid. And I never, ever, ever thought that I would venture into it or being a comedy writer or anything. It was just something that I loved. And I remember watching The Vicar of Dibley. And it being mm -hmm. like such an amazing moment for a fat protagonist like a fat lead character who actually like was funny but was also smart and was also yeah. sexy and also kept this whole village of weirdos together and I'm sure I could probably watch it back now and there'd be some jokes that I'd be like oh that's a bit like whatever but for what it was at the time it was a really groundbreaking show yeah and there was something about like there being the all the controversy when I was a kid when it first came out about there being like a female vicar and it being like kind of weird and dodgy in a bit like when a gay openly gay person moved to a weird sleepy village like you know you'd have that kind of weird reaction and I just loved it and I think you know her as that character as Geraldine Granger I used to cling on to so much and Alice Tinker as well who I think is like Alice is great. the most gorgeous sort of like sidekick to anyone ever like yeah. yeah is that a kind of weird thing to start was kind no of I love I, that I'm trying to think of any masculine ones but they really were because well, that was what know. I was curious about because I, I I couldn't think of any and I was like I know you know people desperately I did desperately search to see myself in something like I think we all yeah. do that and I yeah. was wondering what you had but I guess you know Vicar of Dibley is a pretty fucking good answer yeah and like, yeah. even like now like if there's someone that you like like do you have role models in your like fear now that you like look to and feel confident by looking at them type thing um sort of yeah but weirdly like again for very different reasons i mean like mm. let me think about this sorry paddy you might have to edit this moment out because jack needs <laughs> to think well who am i who do i like <laughs> is it when you look in the mirror and you just see your beautiful reflection. No, it's definitely not that. <laughs> I suppose, like, I suppose in terms of, like, finding somebody who's going to make you feel good about yourself, I've always found, like, maybe a lot of other, like, bigger comedians. I love Joe Brand. Uh -huh. I think she's always been so, sort of, like, fiercely herself and really funny and dry. I loved Bill Bailey. Like, Bill mm. Bailey's character in Black mm. Books, I remember watching and just being, like... He's silly and a fool, but he's also so lovable. Yeah. And like, and I think it's, I also adore Kathy Burke. I mean, Kathy Burke to me mm. is like the queen. She reminds me so much of my mum. They are shockingly similar in sort of temperament and demeanour and like language use. Um, but yeah, I remember sort of like thinking to myself that if there was anybody I wanted to be like when I became like, you know, a proper comedy writer, it would be like, 
someone as ballsy as that. Right. And I think that there's a difference between, you know, being ballsy and aggressive and being ballsy and compassionate. And I think mm. all of those people I've mentioned are the latter. Like, yeah. they're really forthright, but they're also, like, very loving, very empathetic, very understanding of when people get shit wrong. And mm. that's sort of what I try to be. Um, but, yeah, there's a real lack of male role models completely. But I think that's because of what our perceptions are of what, you know, being a successful man should be. Well, that kind of leads on to another question we had, which was when you, you know, do you feel like there is a lot of pressure to be a certain kind of man? You know, growing up, did you feel kind of um, pushed into a box? You know, we talk a lot nowadays about toxic masculinity. Was that something that you felt pressure to ever conform to? Yeah, definitely. But in like a... In a, in a really innocent way. Mm-hmm. So, like, I never, ever got close to properly imitating it. But <laughs> I write a bit in my book at the minute about how, like, as a kid, I just used to spend all my time in, like, knock-off Adidas tracksuits. <laughs> and I had, like, really short, sort of shaved, like, nearly shaved head. And would, like, watch pirate DVDs and sit down the pub with my dad and try and, like, get involved in chats about cars and stuff. A real and I bad just boy. never, I just couldn't be a bad boy. I'm I'm like a different sort of bad boy from the ends. I'm not. I'm just not a bad man, so to speak. I'm too soft and sensitive for that. But I definitely tried. But I think it's definitely a bit of a blessing, I think, in a sense that I am gay. Or that I definitely have found a route to being able to articulate that openly. Because mm. I think if you are from certain backgrounds cultural ones whether that be like maybe working class backgrounds only certain of them so I don't want to like completely over you know completely over generalize working mm-hmm. class backgrounds but if you're from certain estates certain cultures certain backgrounds certain like religious like families and their way of thinking then like you know suppressing all of that gay stuff is the most damaging toxic thing you can possibly do totally so i was really lucky that i found an escape route out of it that i didn't have to just be that kind of lad that like Mm. thankfully you know i think my mum and dad had you know suspicions so to speak and i was always allowed to you know go to drama club and learn how to play an instrument and like you know do stuff that at the time, I remember thinking, well, this is what posh kids do. But actually, it was right. not what posh kids do. It's just what kids do when they don't just want to, like, run around a playground seeing what will, like, bleed. <laughs> like, you know, if it doesn't yeah. break or bleed, then don't kick it. Like, that was the kind of, you know, the vibe. And I remember being at primary school. I speak about this quite vividly in the book. It's one of my earliest memories. But one of the other dads at the school gates, because my dad used to take me to school because mm-hmm. he was a black cab driver yeah. so he would drop me off to school on his way to work and then he'd go into London and then he'd pick me up by the time he'd finished a shift and so he used to like stand up the school gates with all the mums and like it was the first time that I saw the fact that my dad could very easily make friends with women as well as mm-hmm. men which I think is such an amazing standard to set as a father yeah. the importance of like mixed gendered friendships and I remember this other dad dropping his kid off at the school gates or picking the kid up and just being so, so gammony. It's probably the best way. <laughs> to describe, you know, real proper gammon fodder kind of bloke. Like really angry that his kid came out with like friends who were girls and that they'd been playing mums and dads and not like, you know, kick the shit out of each other. Yeah. And I was really lucky that my dad wasn't, didn't care that much. Yeah. You know, I think he he definitely tried to toughen me up more. Yeah. 
And there were definite moments where I think, you know, a certain imposed masculinity was put on me. But I think that was maybe out of fear more than anything. And like, I think love and fear operate on a very similar mm -hmm. level. Totally. If you know you've got a queer child and it might be slightly difficult for them because of the way the world is, yeah. then out of fear, it might drive you to try and, you know, toughen that kid up or prepare yeah. them in ways that actually might ultimately be a bit damaging for them. But it comes out of love. And I think that's the only ever time that I've ever had that sort of conditioning. It's like, only yeah. ever come out of like care of me. And yeah. I'm so lucky that that even, you know, was the reason for it. And I didn't have like a gammon for the dad that <laughs> yeah. just wanted me to like, you know, pick up a toy gun instead. Yeah. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah. It comes out completely out of protection and like, yeah, completely for, the, for you. How old were you when you came out as, as gay? Do you have a real Do strong you know memory like, of that? I sort of did it in a bit of a bad way. I kind <laughs> of like, I sort of haven't even done it now. <laughs> I've not done it yet. Are we outing you? No, no, oh no. Oh my no. God, I'm so no. sorry, Jack. <laughs> I'm not asking you at all, don't you worry. No, I think it was probably, a, it was a kind of gradual process. Right. Yeah. Purely because like, when I was at uni, I remember my first year of uni, like really fancying two or three girls and being like, oh, but I know that I want to have sex with boys. I know that maybe I want to be in a relationship with boys, but I do fancy these girls and just being really kind of like stuck in not really knowing what to do. And I think it's like, those three women as well were also like like queer women. I think right. maybe it was like a part of me was just like kind of like fangirled them in a way. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I think probably around like properly, properly end of 2016. Right. Okay. So we're still only coming up to like three years of me really kind of like being like openly gay. You know, we're only coming up to like six months of me being like Uber driver, openly gay. Right. You <laughs> yeah. When you get in an Uber and yeah. they're like, so, you know, what's you got a girlfriend, you got a missus. I'm like, nah, nah, mate, I'm busy. <laughs> I'm not like, actually, I'm gay. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, yeah, it's a culminative process. Yeah, so I saw a documentary that you made for the BBC, yeah. Happy Man, and you explore male identity, mental health, and body image within that. Um, what kind of inspired you to do the documentary, and what did it mean doing it? The initial thing that I wanted to make was something quite um, political. Right. I wanted to make something that was like, so this was like 2015, 2016. I'd lost a very close friend of mine to suicide at the beginning of 2015. And I had felt like that suicide had, would have been completely avoidable had there been a mental health service or an early intervention available in order to help him earlier on in mm -hmm. his life. You know, he took his life at 27. So he wasn't, you know, he was a young person, but mm. he wasn't like, you know, an adolescent, so to speak. Right. Mm. And I feel like if children and adolescent mental health services had been stronger in the last 10 to 15 years, then that's the way that we stop so many people, mm -hmm. you know, getting there. And then the idea was, well, right now the NHS is struggling. And right now a lot of those child and adolescent mental health services are struggling. So what are the alternative free ways in which people can help themselves mm. outside of just talking or outside of what like the NHS demand is. So that was the initial thing right. for why I wanted to do it. And and I'm, you know, really proud of those elements of the documentary. So I went cold water swimming up on the west coast of Scotland oh, like oh three God. days before Christmas. It was December. It was oh, what, was the, what was the water temperature? Do you know? It was like minus disgusting. That's what it was. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was quite grim. And like, it was a sort of um, fun experience because it was looking at this guy who had used cold water swimming to help deal with and cope with his depression. Okay. And there's something about like the body's physiological response to being in like cold water, like triggers a lot of different endorphins that are going to your brain. It can sort of clear up that kind of groggy mist that you might be feeling like. It's I was now... going to say, I would feel like getting in cold water would make me more depressed than I am. Well, it made me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I could totally see the benefits of it, really, actually. Sure. It does make you feel good. But I think um, it was a difficult thing to shoot because I was sort of, I was like so fucking cold and also had norovirus which was not nice oh my god but but i feel like it was a useful thing and then one of the other things i did was met up with this drag queen Uh who'd just come out of prison oh my god um for a sort of like bizarre thing where they were at fault but so was somebody who'd also attacked them it was an altercation Mm -hmm. with faults on both sides okay and it was sort of linked with race and and sexuality and you know both parties were at fault and then it was sort of looking at how this sort of queer person's then adjusting back into life where they've had to stop being a drag queen for four months because they've been in jail. Mm. And sort of the identity and the importance of that identity and how that maybe is a protectionism for them. And like quite looking quite specifically at, you know, how our mental health can sometimes be improved by like just being able to define our identity better or figuring Mm -hmm. out who we are or where we're from and like piecing all those things that can actually like just help you feel more secure in yourself Mm. and then on the final episode i think that's where i went life drawing you modeled didn't you yeah i fucking hated it really i really hated it why because i didn't want to do it and i sort of were like what was the logic behind it what why did you why did that end up being the activity? Just because it's like think, an extreme exposure type yeah, thing? Yeah, I think it was a sort of like looking at body image and how other people's perceptions can be different. And there were elements of it I enjoyed. But like realistically, I look back on it now and go, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Really? I wasn't in a healthy enough mind space to have done that. Right. Did you come out feeling worse, do you feel? Or? Yeah, on the, in yeah. the long term, definitely. I sort of kind of lied to the cameras because you've got a TV crew mm. with you, so you can't really be like, well, that was shit. Yeah, but, that's really difficult. Yeah, it's a weird one. When you make a documentary that that sort of level of exposing mm. of yourself and of quite traumatic things you've gone through, at the end of it, you're like, okay, what did I let out of myself that actually I should have just kept in? Like, we do not need to have this culture where our whole lives and trauma are on display. And I sort of felt like that. I felt like I'd sort of sold and packaged my soul a little bit. Right. So whilst I'm quite proud of that documentary in certain ways, and especially in, like, you know, I'm really proud when people have messaged me and it's really helped them. Uh There are other elements of it that I'm a bit like, hmm, this shows how exploitative our culture can be to wanting to have, like, really emotional, forefront, like, trauma porn, you know? And, like, I'm... I can't, you know, take back that documentary. Mm. People can still watch it now, but Mm. it's not something I'd make now. And and if anything, what I would would have liked it to have been is much more um, nuanced as to, like, why people are struggling so much... And as to who is culpable for that. Right. Why do you think people are struggling so much? I think because people are 
I think because certain services are now becoming more and more inaccessible. Yeah. And I think that there is a real inequality in who is allowed to have a voice about how we tackle these issues and who isn't. Like, I've read a few books recently about people talking about depression and stuff and they always come with this tagline, which, you know, I also have benefited from, of being like, thank God I was able to get a private therapist and thank Mm -hmm. God I was able to pay for it. And, you know, I have paid for a private therapist before. I'm sure maybe you two have, I don't know. But, like, in my mind, it's something that is, like... um, it is something that I'm happy to have experienced and had, but then like, you have to fight still for the people who can't mm-hmm. afford it and who yeah. need those other services to be, you know, um, campaigned for and, and need, like, we need to have free access, non, like, 100-week waiting lists for, like, yeah. people to be able to get help. We can't have, like, any more kind of cuts to child and adolescent mental health services whereby like they are literally doing the groundwork the early intervention Mm. legwork into Mm. saving people's lives who may potentially down the road or down you know as years go by and people get more and more unhappy and more and more ill you know may take their own life like they are such an important crucial factor and even our government right now I mean Jeremy Hunt literally tweeted like the other day how upset he is about Mm. CAM services and I'm like Mate, you were the one that you're yeah, part. You you're, yeah, you're one yeah, of the architects of, the of its yeah. destruction. Like, so it's hard. I don't know where the solution no, but it, is. And it's such a complex problem as well because I think services vary depending where you are in the country. Yeah. Like, Completely. it's a complete yeah, it's a postcode, postcode lottery. 100%. Like, I think there's that aspect. I think there's also the aspect going from CAMS to adult services yeah. for that transition. Yeah. Sometimes people might be in a quite a stable position within CAMS, but yeah. the minute they turn 18, then it's like, Vump, everything's gone, and then you're, now yeah. you're on and an 18 months waiting list. Yeah. It's really sad. And I think the, the we can try and reform it now, but it needed to happen four or five years yeah. ago. Mm. You know, It's something that, like, I think the sign of our times is going to be, oh, we should have done something about that back then. Well, I mean, now might be a good moment to say we are both, all three of us actually, are contributors in Scarlett Curtis's mm-hmm. new book, which is oh, It's yeah. Not Okay to Feel Blue and Other Lies, and um, the profits of that book go to the Shout Mental Health text line, which yeah, is a which, 24-hour yeah. text line where mm. you can text if you're feeling depressed or anything, and someone will answer. So, you know, we'll, we'll put the um, information for that in the bio of yeah. their podcast. Hell yeah, I think it's, I, I mean, I remember reading about it, Scarlett sent me some stuff, and just thinking, like, okay, this, like, in action is going to be fucking cool. Yeah. Like, it's going to be a really great thing because it strips quite a lot of those initial anxieties mm. that people have in approaching for help kind of out the equation. Yeah, it's, yeah. The, it's the anxieties and the stigma around it as well. And I, I wonder if you have thoughts about, like, the stigma being a, a man with mental health concerns versus with women. But I think... That that is a is a big barrier when when it comes yeah. to accessing help because it, again you have to be willing to do it in the first place. Right? Oh, it sounds stupid, yeah. but even just phone call anxiety. Yeah. I mean, I've got such bad anxiety. Yeah. I can barely call a pizza restaurant, <laughs> like let alone the Samaritans. <laughs> like it takes yeah, you know. Yeah. That, that's the text. <laughs> so the text line, I think, really does bridge mm. a large gap for people just who are feeling a little bit you know wobbly and need some help, or <clears throat> even more severe. It's yeah. amazing. Um, so I've got a question um, 
where would you feel like you are in your body now, like in terms of your self-love journey? Well, I I definitely have still quite a lot of self-hatred. I hate yeah. to say it. No, but I mean, that's but, okay. Real. But not in like a, not in a way where it's disrupting my happiness anymore, if mm. that makes sense. Like, I'm definitely not comfortable with a lot of aspects of like, you know, I don't know how to describe it. I feel like sometimes it's a bit like kind of um, a costume that you wear when mm. you're like thinking about your body in different aspects of your life. So like thinking about my body sexually, weirdly, I've kind of accepted what that is and I'm kind of all right with it. I'm yeah. kind yeah. of happy with it. And then weirdly sort of accepting my body as like a kind of like front facing person who's like, putting myself in front of people in a work sense I hate it I get really like because I feel like it it does a couple of things it kind of either makes me appear very um soft and cuddly or it makes me appear a little bit like kind of um I don't know sort of sidekicky if that makes sense it's like you've either got to be in the equation, you know, you've got to figure out whether you want to be Rebel Wilson or Seth Rogen. God, that's so true. <laughs> like, okay, you know, can't I be... Can't I know, be the romantic lead? Yeah, or, or, or like just being lead. able to adjust people's brain settings. So in that bit, I feel quite uncomfortable in my body because I feel like it's perceived differently by other people, by slim people, by people who might be able to give me opportunities or jobs or whatever. I think it's seen differently to them. Right. And I don't like that lack yeah. of like cohesion. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does make sense. Whereas sexually, I used to hate my body yeah. and now I'm a bit like, oh, actually, it's fine. What helped and you get there? I think because I've maybe like sexually explored now with like men of lots of different body types. Yeah. And then essentially just go, oh, actually, like, oh, it's all the same. Yeah. Essentially, it doesn't matter. Whereas I used to think it really mattered. Yeah. You know, a, a kind of slim guy would like come on to me or would fancy me, and I'd be like, "What the fuck are you doing? What are you up to? What <laughs> evil have you got?" Ahead? <laughs> and he was just like, "No, I think you're fair." Yeah. And I'd be like, "Oh, well, okay then. Well, I'll like- see you never." <laughs> but it's nowadays, like you know, I'm hanging out the back of Twink. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> I really am joking. No, nowadays I don't feel as sort of um, as nervous about it you know yeah do you think doing love stories helped you kind of get to a place where you were more open to dating and talking about it not yeah I mean maybe you kind of when you do a show that is completely sort of like exposing of your kind of romantic um you know coming of age so to speak it definitely makes you have to own things a bit more I think you know my probably my probably my biggest anxiety is to do with relationships much more mental than physical nowadays mm. and is that about like closeness do you mean or yeah we're just trying to figure out you know those sort of like what you want out of a relationship or, right. or how secure you feel in it or your anxieties or how you address them or speak about them right. you know i've never really had like a proper relationship relationship and i think that probably comes from being generally quite a sort of like busy person, yeah. being a bit selfish. But then I think it also comes from like feeling insecure, not just in my body, but in my sort of like 
in my offerings to somebody as a partner, so to speak. Right. Like, I'm not sure what I'd be able to give. That makes me so sad because I feel like you're so wonderful and you have so much to give in a relationship. Well, you can say that, honey, but you never know. I mean, I've, yeah, I, but I, and I feel like I've known you for like an hour. And I would, and like, I, yeah, I mean, like, we're obviously going to end up married, but yeah. besides <laughs> the point. Um, no, I, I, th- I think it's something that maybe comes from having been fat for your whole life yeah. is that you kind of go, okay, what, okay, well, I've had one semi-type relationship yeah. thing. And it was with a guy who was much more conventionally attractive than, than me mm. and was much more, was slimmer and was much more sort of like visibly, you know, he would be called handsome by like, you know, people. Yeah. Whereas I wouldn't get called, I'd get called funny or charming or silly or whatever. And like that, I think, broke down because of my insecurities yeah. that weren't necessarily in my body in the moment of us being together, but were much more apparent when we were put as an outside, yeah. in the outside yeah, world yeah. as a unit. There is where I felt it. I never felt it like in bed with him or in, in any intimate moment. Yeah. But like, and that's quite difficult. And, but I wonder if that's something that comes along with time as well, because to me, charming and funny is so much more desirable than than, than an aesthetic. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's it's a weird one, though, because, you know, he wasn't, like, not charming. And right. He wasn't not funny. Yeah. He just was handsome. Yeah. And that was the word that people used first. Right. So when the, the, when, you're, when your words don't match as a couple, it's you're always thinking, okay, well that's the handsome one and then that's the funny one or that's the little and I think that's maybe something that yeah you're right with age I think I'll probably become a bit more you know acceptant of well yeah, I mean I found it interesting and in, I've only had one relationship and it was very interesting getting into it I was still in the mindset that I had from growing up fat and still being fat I very much felt like I deserved exactly you know I I was so grateful that someone would consider being with me and I kind of felt like I would take all of this horrible shit from them because I was just like, I'm so grateful you'll be with me, which is, and like coming out of it now, I'm like, you know, for most people, I think a lot of people see me as a kind of pinnacle of confidence and like, Yeah. yeah. And so for me to, I felt so ashamed that even in a relationship, I went back on all my principles yeah. and was like, you know, it was like, no, please treat me like absolute garbage. I'm just so grateful you'll be with me. Yeah. Which is, yeah. it, you know, I think it takes a very long time to unlearn the things that we've been taught as, you and know, sometimes when I go into certain situations, I immediately snap back into, you know, the fat, insecure teenage girl that I was rather than the fat, powerful woman that I am now. Yeah. Baby, we're all Lizzo. We're all Lizzo. We're all Lizzo now. <laughs> um, how did you I've feel got... about your body growing up? Well, I didn't go in a fucking swimming pool without my T-shirt off until I was about 17. No. Yeah. Baby Jack. I know. So, yeah, I hated it for a long, long time. Yeah. Really, really hated it. I mean, I hated being... But weirdly, I always loved clothes. You've got so, amazing style. Can I just no, say? I'm really enjoying the yellow jumper. S- stunning. I'm wearing a yellow Adidas jumper, but it's actually got a hoodie, a ho- a hoodie pocket in it. I actually so, just want that version of your outfit for mm. me. And then a two-tone... Well, look, we could sort you out. Yeah, we'll denim. Go, we'll go, Not a we'll denim shirt. <laughs> no, um, I think, I think, yeah, maybe I think I did that because I was so uncomfortable with my body that I was like, people are going to see this anyway, so they might as well see it in a distinct way type yeah. thing. That's very interesting because I feel like a lot of people go the other yeah. way. Oh, no. Like, the hide the black I, and the... Well, this yeah, is it. Baggy. When I got to, like, 18, 19, that's when I went... 
now dress all in all black and look like a straight guy who works at All Saints. Like, <laughs> but when I was a kid and a teenager, yeah. I would be like in every single bright fucking neon day glow, whatever the fuck you could get. And I don't think that was just mirroring like the trend at the time. I think I was probably quite specifically dressing to sort of like, you know, control what I thought other people thought mm. of me type mm. thing. But that's the thing as the fat person. Yeah. For me, my shame or my sort of like uh, neuroses about it have always, have never been about how I felt. I've always felt on the whole quite happy. Mm. I've always felt on the whole like I'm resilient person. Yeah. But anytime I have worried or felt shit, it's because of other people's perceptions. Yeah. Or right. my fear of what other people's perceptions are. And so, and that makes you do stupid shit. Yeah. When you're worried about yeah. what other people think of you, that's when you do trip up. That's when you do go in a relationship with someone and you let them treat you like shit because you're like, but I need this now because you're my first relationship. So it's got to be the thing now. Totally. And I have done that so many times yeah. where I've gone, this is a rite of passage. So I'm going to do anything to keep something like this yeah. being a thing, whether it's professional or personal. Totally. And really it's like, who gives a shit? As long as I'm happy in my body, and as long as my GP is telling me that I'm not imminently about to die, <laughs> they're the only two people I really give a fucking yeah. shit about. But that's it, and I think it's like having that zooming out and seeing it for what it is, right? And then, because yeah. it's so easy to get caught up, especially when we're in a society that does condition us that some bodies are more acceptable than others. And I yeah. think that, that is, it's a huge unlearning process, yeah. especially when you kind of feel like you're fighting against culture right like it's a a big thing and kind of going back to you saying about feeling insecure about the pictures on your like billboards or whatever it is for the work that you're doing it's you're not a model you're i know it says supermodel on your like website but like but you're someone's read my website (laughs) no i had it do my research (laughs) researcher but um you know, you're you're talent you're a talented writer and creator and like you're the reason you're there is because of your talent, right? And who yeah. you are and your persona. It's people aren't buying tickets to see you at the Edinburgh Fringe because of what you look like, you know. So I think that's yeah. I, I completely understand because again, because of the society that we live in, why that becomes like, Oh my god, my mother well, yeah, my, my, if you're taught your whole life that yeah. all of your worth is tied up in how you look and you don't fit a conventional mould then you're like, well, where do I fit into this? I mean, but that, I've always yeah. felt but like that's that. A, but that's a scam that we live in. It's an it? absolute like that, scam. That's yeah. a scam. It's a losing game. If you yeah, could um, a... go back and say one thing to baby Jack, what would it be? <laughs> um, I'd probably tell me to worry less. Mm. Like I spent probably from about 14 to about 24 <laughs> worrying all the time about everything. I definitely think from probably about the beginning of 2018, midway through 2018, I had to let go of a lot of worries. Mm-hmm. And, and in, but in order to do that, you kind of have to like, you kind of have to be a bit of a selfish dick for once. Yeah. So sort of, you know that in that period of like letting go of you being a worry wart, yeah. you're going to piss some people off, you're going to irritate some people. And then by the time you've gone through it and you've figured out yourself the right people will be left, if that makes sense. Yes, yeah. Like, But I think but, even, like, positioning it as being a selfish dick, I think that just shows that you're a very, like, sensitive person because I think a lot of people wouldn't even think that yeah. way, right? Yeah. Well, like, just, it's just like, I'm putting myself first and that's, yeah, that's a, important I, and okay to do. I, yeah, I think I had to have a bit of a chat with myself yeah. maybe about, like, midway through last year of just being like, okay, you're over the worst of mm-hmm. whatever, you know, 
I'd sort of gone through post that BBC Three documentary and with right. my friend. But like, you're gonna have to. It, one of those sort of age-old cliches of things are gonna get worse before they get better. So yeah. you're gonna have to sort of, you know, have some punches thrown at you, type thing. Totally. And but I think it's an important thing to do because now you know it's like September 2019, and I feel that the happiest and most motivated and calmest I felt. Huh. In my whole adult life, I feel very calm right now. I have anxious days and stuff, but I don't feel as um, I don't feel as like I'm sort of like incapable or that I'm right. sort of drowning in yeah. stuff. If that makes sense, and I think that definitely comes with having told myself to stop worrying about shit that didn't need worrying about, mm. and to sort of um, prioritize better. So that's what yeah. I tell Baby Jack. I love that. I'd be like, stop worrying all the time. What's something you do that makes you feel good in your body? Ah, <laughs> clothes. Definitely wearing good clothes. Wearing something that fits really well. Oh, there's nothing like That's, it. You know, it's like, I've got this, um, an all blue corduroy jumpsuit. Oh, hi. And you've got a red, you've got a, quite a red outfit quite similar, actually, that we need to pair up. Oh, I have time. a rust corduroy jumpsuit. Yeah, you've got a yes. rust one. I've got it in like a navy blue. Oh, shit. And it's like, just even from the collar, from like the highest it comes up on my body by my neck to like literally the sort of like boot cut on the like ankle. I just think I feel fucking great in it. Oh, I'm like, yeah. There's nothing more powerful than like feeling like you're really expressing yourself through clothing. It's very yeah, powerful. I, I, I'm a big fan of clothes. I'm, I buy quite a lot of clothes, actually. I also I feel like stop. that's quite rare to hear from a plus-size person because all of the messages I get from people are like, where do you buy good clothes as a plus-size person? Like, what do you do? Whereas you're one of the few people I've met who enjoys clothes as much as I do, even though we're fat and yeah. like, but we're quite fat and carefree and we're like very yeah, yeah. expressive stuff. It's very interesting. There's a whole world though now of people wanting to like broaden out their sizes and stuff. Mm. It's just know. about hunting. It is, it's, about, it's about hunting. It's about knowing like, you know, what your principles are. So, you know, I absolutely love ASOS. I adore mm-hmm. ASOS. Oh God, me too. But then it also is like fast fashion that's killing the planet. So try not to spoil sport myself and be like, well, you can't buy from ASOS. But I'm like, okay, I just buy from ASOS, but not every fucking week. You and know? also, because I think a, it's I a fast fashion it. thing. But the thing is, is, ASOS is so cheap. You're like, I could get a three pound pair of sunglasses and I could get a four pound oversized t-shirt. And I will then get a five. But before you know, you spent like 17 quid on like 12 items. But if you're doing that like bi-weekly, then, then you're, you're bankrupting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think one thing with the fast fashion thing, because I feel guilty about this a lot, but then also it's very hard to find clothes as a bigger person, and I've gained weight recently, so the jump between shopping as a size 16 to a size 18, 20 is yeah. very, oh, yeah, yeah, very yeah. different. But with the fast fashion thing in ASOS, my feeling is if I buy something that I'm not going to throw away for a long time, like I buy things and yeah, I keep yeah. them for years. Yeah. So I'm like, if you're selective with what you're buying and you're kind of buying responsibly, I don't think there's anything bad at shopping at those places. Well, they're making it. Yeah. Is the issue. It's already made. They're fucking making it. Yeah. And, and I, and I worry that like, it's so, um, yeah, I think, I think the way to do it now is to be, so my idol we all know, MIA, champion <laughs> god. She did a campaign, the only real corporate campaign she's ever done for H&M back in 2016. And it's sort of a weird one because, like, MIA has never, ever done adverts. Even when she was at the absolute pinnacle of her career on the Grammys, mm. she turned down every single thing. 
But then she did it for H&M for something called World Recycle Week. And she mm-hmm. wrote a song for the H&M campaign called Rewear It. And her whole thing was like, okay, if you're going to buy from all these places, the global economy now relies on it, unfortunately. There are countries that she's like, thank fuck H&M Invest here because, like, you know... Yeah. Uh, it's built an infrastructure, but just fucking rewear it or recycle it or give it away. Like, we don't need to be mass producing loads of new clothes. We need to encourage retailers like H&M to be more conscious about mm. how they re kind of like wear it essentially yeah, totally. like re- and regenerate yeah. those materials and items. And I remember thinking, like, yeah, that kind of is it. It's going to be about us not creating new stuff, but using old and repurposing it. Yeah, giving it. it back and kind of, yeah. Whether or not in the three years since MIA's done that campaign, H never stuck to it. Who knows? But like, I thought it was a cool sentiment. Yeah. Because that is that's going to be the most effective mm. way that we still look great and can be, you know. Yeah. Hot fat thoughts, so to speak. <laughs> and I think that's a perfect note to end on. Um, Jack, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me uh, anywhere around Camden. Uh, <laughs> you can find me. I'm at Jack Dave Rook on Instagram and at Jack Rook on Twitter. And when's your book going to be out? It's going to come out in May 2020, TBC. Okay. Very exciting. Thank you for talking with us, Jack. Thanks for having me. Hi, love you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Body Protest Podcast, brought to you by The Pink Protest. We would love it if you left us a review and some stars, preferably five, on Apple Podcasts. Preferably. (laughs) (laughs) It will help other people find our podcast and join our Body Protest family. Honey, where can we find you on social? Well... I'm on Instagram <laughs> at honeykinney and you should also follow the pink protest at pink protest. Nadia, where can we find you? I'm at nadia.quadic on Instagram and you can also listen to my little work podcast, Appearance Matters the Podcast, where Jay Pono and I talk about the body image research with some of the experts in the field. Uh, this podcast was brought to you by the pink protest and produced by the wonderful Scarlett Curtis. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.